you want to turn uh, with me to Matthew chapter 5. And as Pastor Dave mentioned, this is classic Jesus. You know, when it talks about Sermon on the Mount, it includes uh, a lot of the those uh, teachings that are tenets of the Christian faith that we're familiar with. Uh, the, the golden rule, do unto others what you have them do unto you. The Lord's Prayer is in there, talking about salt, the earth, light of the world. Uh, all that is coming up in this next few chapters and next few weeks that we're carrying through. So let's read from Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 12 verses, and we're going to cover the Beatitudes today. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and where he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you again for your teaching that uh, is so revolutionary and so counter-culture to what we understand. So tonight, as we gather here, I pray as you've opened up your mouth to speak to those that were gathered at the foot of the mount to hear your teaching, tonight we pray that your word would come uh, through by the Holy Spirit and we will open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive the truth that you would have to speak through us to your Holy Spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, but in fact, it's kind of a misnomer. It's not quite a, a mountain as we know it. I took a drive up to uh, Whistler today um, with some family friends that were visiting. And it's just great, you know, living in BC. As you drive across the Lionsgate Bridge, you see the North Shore Mountains. You drive up the Cedar Sky Highway. You see uh, whether it's uh, the Chief when you hit Squamish or you see uh, the Garibaldi Mountains and just the grandeur of all that. Where Jesus was most likely preaching here was not really a mountain, it was more of a foothill. So it says that he climbed up, it was more perhaps something like a natural amphitheater where he could preach. They didn't have PA systems, he didn't have a mic, he didn't have uh, the, the speakers or loudspeakers as necessary. So a lot of times they would use what the natural uh, terrain or environment that is to help them speak to those that were gathered to listen to him. And that's why he shared this. I don't know how many of you are um, uh, mountaineers or have mountaineering experience. I, uh, when I was 14, I went on this trip to climb Mount Kinabalu. Okay, I'm from Malaysia, and those are from Malaysia would know that Mount Kinabalu is in uh, East Malaysia, which is where I'm from, on the island of Borneo. And it is the highest peak in Southeast Asia. So I joined with a school team, a number of schools that went to this, uh, to climb uh, Mount Kinabalu. And it was about 13,000 feet, it's 13,000 feet high. So that would be, um, I think Grouse Mountain here is about 4,000 and the peak of Whistler or um, 
the peak of Whistler or Blackcomb is about 5,000, 6,000. So this is twice that height. So it's not a, a big, long climb, but it does take two days uh, to do it. So on my very first day, it was pretty easy. The first was quite, quite not as steep. So you kind of spend the day at a leisurely and you get to this lodge, really, which is right about the 10,000 meter mark. Uh, it's called Laban Rata and you stop there and you spend a night. And the idea is that most, most of the group would continue the next morning and do the rest of the last leg of that peak and get to the top right before sunrise. So you can watch the sunrise from the peak of that mountain, which is glorious. So here I'm, 14-year-old, pretty fit guy, uh, and everyone would wake up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, get ready to do the hike, and it takes about, you know, two and a half hours, definitely, and you get there before 6 a.m. so you can watch the sunrise. So here I am, I've got just my light pack uh, going up there. So I started out, uh, there was this fella that was, I didn't know him, I think he was part of the team, and he was on a pace that was much faster than my pace. So naturally... I had to keep up with that. Uh, so I, I ran with him really up this mountain. And at 10,000 feet, I'm telling you, you would, take, you would start from here and you will feel great. And you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm out of breath. And you would just wait. And okay, I'm ready. And you take three more steps or, or 30 more steps, and you're completely out of breath already because the air is so thin. So I expanded way too fast in the beginning, and at the end, I couldn't. And there were, there were ladies that were passing me. There were ladies with kids on their back that were passing me, and I couldn't just keep up. And the end, guess what? By the time I got up there, the sun was up already, and everybody was on their way down. Oh, wasn't that a great sunrise? Oh, look at this shot. Look at that shot. I was like, I think because... I ran too fast. And the Sermon on the Mount here, in a way, is not something principles that you need to live by to get to the top. It's something that you already get to experience. And the first point that's on your handout, it says, God wants us to live a life of fulfillment, significance, and true happiness. It doesn't mean blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the mourn, all these principles that you need to practice in order to get there. That you can already enjoy all the goodness and you can enjoy the son of God that he's offered to you. But these are principles that you practice in your life uh, as you carry on. And believing that God wants you to have a life of fulfillment. That we, 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 uh, the last couple of months we have talked about pacing, about wisdom that we need. I like how it tied into it. How when uh, Pastor Carl Gustav was here last week, he talked about wisdom that's needed to build the foundation. And these are what, these are what we're doing each weekend that you're here. You gaining, you're gaining wisdom to help you run really a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not a sprint to get to the top of the mountain like I did, but it's a slow-paced uh, um, marathon. But the whole, the whole time, you get to enjoy the best that God has for you. The Amplified Version uh, in your note states um, the, the definition of blessed. Because Jesus said it nine times. Blessed are you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemaker. You can almost... No, when you hear someone say bless, that usually they're a believer. It's, it's almost a term of the believer when they say they're blessed. The Amplified Version states, blessed as happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward 
conditions. Isn't there that contrast that the difference between happiness and joy and blessedness is more akin to joy than it is happiness that you may have good circumstances and uh, when everything is going right, but yet there isn't a joy, there isn't a contentment. Uh, some of you, as you reflected back uh, to where you live or where you're from, definitely in Canada, in Vancouver, wow, circumstances are good. We're not living in war. We're not living in poverty. We're no, there's no shortage of uh, uh, food or peace. That's all there. So the circumstances are good. But we all felt at one point the lack of happiness or discontent in our life until we found Christ. It definitely was that case for me. I grew up in uh, a really stable family, had um, good um, grades, went to university, went to engineering school, did my first year, and everything was going well. I was healthy. I had everything that uh, um, a 19-year-old could ask for at that time, but yet there was a discontent. There wasn't that joy that was there. And that was when uh, God really came to me when I opened myself uh, up to him and received him. And you contrast that with uh, the, the walk of a believer, that even under the most challenging circumstance, that you can still have joy, that you can still have this contentment, even though uh, I, I looked at the, um, the missions trip those uh the slideshow of those kids that were in ukraine um and definitely and even our trip to to haiti in the the as extreme as poverty as your witness but yet the believers that were there had a joy in them that is something that i was definitely very envious of and that comes to what they have through god so we're going to read through uh, the, the next few points that Jesus had given in this uh, classic sermon here. And this blessed life really comes in a very unexpected way. Steve May wrote uh, in, in a book titled, Don't Hide Your Happiness. In that Jesus' method of happiness is so countercultural that if we were to give the world's version of the Beatitudes, maybe it would read more like this. Blessed are the self-made men, for they are master of their destinies. Blessed are those who never mourn, for their life will be a bed of roses. Blessed are the aggressive, for they'll get whatever they want. Blessed are those who make up their own rules, for they'll answer to no one but themselves. Blessed are those who show no mercy, for their enemies will fear them. Blessed are those with hearts of stone, for they'll never be hurt. Blessed are those who win the battle, for their enemies will become their slaves. Blessed are those who compromise their convictions, for they'll never offend anyone. And blessed are those who are recognized for their greatness and elevated to the status of celebrity, for they will be worshipped by many. That was probably more like what uh, a worldly beatitude would say. But Jesus says something that's quite different. The first point of the beatitude says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in the spirit mean? Some of you might have different translation, but essentially it means humility. Jesus started with this very first beatitude, first teaching, and says, you need to be poor in spirit. You need to be humble. To be poor in spirit means to accept what Jesus has said in John 15, 5. That scripture is in your handout as well. It says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them I will produce much fruit for apart from me, 
you can do nothing. Being poor does not mean that you have to be materially poor. It does not mean material, material poverty. It does not mean being depressed, weak, timid, or passive. It doesn't mean poor in spirit. You need to walk around with a sad face, hanging low, or maybe having a false humility. Or just never, if someone came up to you and said, wow, that was a great job. Oh, no, no, I'm not good at much. You know, that's not me. And that's not what it is. But being poor in spirit is saying that, yes, thank you, but it's all because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And that very same humility that helped you come to know him is the same humility that you're needing to hear the truth, to read the word, to understand really the rest of the Beatitudes as Jesus continued on to say. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, last uh, week, if you were here again, we, we showed uh, a testimony by video of a family here, Joe and Jessica Wise, of how they walked through this victory where they had a very early, very premature birth, really. And through God's miraculous touch, they, uh, the baby came to full health and was joining in the service. And we were able to praise the Lord for that. But there are so many instances as well that we're aware of where uh, we, we mourn uh, those that uh, have losses in our very own lives. Perhaps you can think about uh, in your own journey, the, the mourning that you've gone through, uh, perhaps a loved one that you've lost. Um, I I've often hear uh, from those that are in the age where uh, they start having either their family or their friends um, they start attending really more funerals than weddings. And then it gets to be a very lonely time uh, for them. But Jesus said here, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And uh, myself and my, my wife, uh, we have not uh, had uh, too many family members that we had lost. But in ourselves, our personal experience was that we had a miscarriage very early on. It took us a while uh, before we conceived and we tried. And when we did, I think it was almost two and a half or three years before we did. And at the very first time we, we got pregnant, we were very excited. I think the first week, you know, we found out, the very day we found out, we started, I called my mom, my dad, and told them about it. And we just almost announced it to the world. But... Um, I think it was very sh- uh, shortly, probably just a little bit after, uh, just before the first trimester, uh, we lost that child. And the whole grieving process was very new to me. And it didn't hit me because, um, again, you, you think about the, 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 the child that was there, even at 18 weeks, even at 17 weeks, that's a life human being that's in the womb uh andrew and hazel leggett those that know uh those of you that know them, they just had uh, a baby that was born uh premature but full term but it was healthy it was not full term but it was uh, uh complete it was uh healthy in a sense that a life was there and it was a very tough uh, season for us at that time we were not planted in a church we were kind of in between church so we didn't have the life group we didn't have the church we didn't have the truth that was comforting us at that season and there were nights or days that we had to mourn we had to uh, uh, cry and express that out 
But it doesn't even mean that you have to go through that physical loss to experience mourning. I think what Jesus perhaps meant here was mourning over the fact that there is sin in the world. That we need to have a godly sorrow in, in our lives and looking around us. 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says that for God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow. But sorrow without repentance is a kind that results in death. That is the opposite uh, of, of being proud, of being haughty, of being thinking that, God, I've made it. I've done it. I've done all this. But when you're mourning, you're, you're recognizing that, Lord, it is not what I've done. I'm imperfect. I'm frustrated by the situation that's world that's around us. When you start having that godly sorrow for uh, seeing other people living in sin, or seeing the effects of sin on this world, and that challenges us to turn to God, and the promise that Jesus has for us is that they shall be comforted. Uh, another verse that's not in your notes, but First uh, John one nine it writes, "But if we confess our sins to Him." He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. That though we may walk through that, Jesus is always faithful to walk us through that. Much more we can say about that, but I'll move on to the next one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. Again, meekness is not something you hear a lot in the world. Not too many resume has that you know, adjective meek, you know, what is your strength? I am meek. And maybe even our understanding uh, of what, what meekness means. Uh, We'll start by saying what it doesn't mean. Uh, Meekness doesn't mean weakness. It means power under control. Someone who is meek is strong enough to be gentle uh, and yet strong enough to be forceful when necessary. And meekness is not um, simply being nice. You have that sense when you're Christian, you're just nice. A Christian is just a nice person. Never speak up. They won't offend anybody. They just go along with the flow. That's nice, but that's not meekness. Meekness is power, power under the control. It says here um, that meekness, uh, there was a, uh, uh, I just heard someone that mentioned to me an African saying uh, that says a lie told to keep unity or lie told to unite is better than a truth that's spoken that divides, right? Because that sense that, oh, it's better, you know, what's lie about it so that everybody gets along rather than speak a truth in love that might offend, that might cause someone to uh, uh, be confrontational. But meekness is having that strength to say, speak the truth in love and not just to be nice, Someone who is meek is strong enough to be gentle, like uh, a husband for, uh, to a wife. That, you know, it's not, I'm the man of the house, I'm the husband, and you need to submit to me because I'm. A, that's not meekness. Meekness is saying that I, I'm going to take responsibility to lead this house, I'm going to take a responsibility to protect, I'm going to take responsibility to provide, but you do so in a gentle way. Meekness is strong enough to be tender. 
like a father with their daughters, someone that would care to love enough. I I think about uh, uh, Paul Becker. I think about Paul Becker that was here, those of you that were here uh, on, on Wednesday when, at Regeneration. And he's a, a young dad, and he, he spoke up about how the challenges, he's a professional choreographer working in Hollywood, um, um, often having to choreograph dances for uh, Miley Cyrus or different Hollywood movies. And he, he gave this uh, example of uh, how he stood up uh, against the uh, producers who wanted them to wear something that's um, a pair of shorts, but quite a bit less than that. And just saying that, I don't want the girls to wear these. You know, I don't want them to walk around. And he stood up against what the producers might say. Because some might just say, oh, you know, just, just go with it. This is just the producers, and we might edit it some way and just compromise that way. But he didn't. He stood up, and the crowd applauded him for that. He stood up for um, the women that he was defending, and just the same way that a father would stand up for uh, a, a daughter to protect them. So when it comes to meekness, it's about men not abdicating their role. Father not abdicating their roles to protect their family, to protect their daughter. Husband not abdicating that role to protect their wives and stand for your family. And then strong enough to be forceful, it says, when necessary. And that's reserved for boys that will come after the daughters. <laughs> the, I have a gun license and I will use it when necessary. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> But yet, at the same time, I, I, you know, they, they, and even for brothers that would stand up for sisters in a house. I'm talking about brothers standing up for women in the church and not allowing them to be abused, not allowing them to settle. And it, it happens here. We're not naive to think that. And I, I, uh, I just recall this incident when during the Olympics we had um, one of our, our female performers just singing out in the front, just uh, openly uh, playing a guitar, and people were walking around. And this one gentleman, well, one, one man, he's not gentle at all. So he came up and was really just giving the dirty eye, and just everything about him was just, it was just, it was just yuck. You know, and right away, a group of guys just went around and just say, you know, let's stop the music, go inside, let's take care of this. And we did it with gentleness. We didn't, you know, there was, but then it was very confrontational. But that was what the men had to do. And I was so proud of the fact that our gatekeepers, that's what they're doing. They're standing up to say, you are not going to stand and allow this to happen. We will enforce and use force when necessary. And that, I think, is a good example of what meekness is uh it also say here that um uh it's one of the fruit of the spirit in galatians 5 but the fruit of spirit is love joy uh peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith and meekness temperance against there's uh no law uh first peter three fifteen. but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So this goes when you share your faith as well. That there needs to be this meekness, this strength, but with a gentleness. Uh, I remember Blaine Bartell, those of you that know him, he often share about his testimony of how he came to Christ was through this high school uh, friend of his. that was His, his name was Stu, um, and he was a football, I think, linebacker, just a really big guy, and he's got a radical con- uh, 
conversion experience. And when he came back, he just picked up, um, he just picked up Blaine Bartel by a scruff of the neck, held him up. You're going to give your life to Jesus, in which, to which Blaine complied. That is not meekness, right? So we need to give uh, defense for the reason we have the faith, but we do that in meekness as well. Uh, point D, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, Jesus touched on our addiction to food and just how um, our ravages when what happens when we're deprived of food. Uh, I don't know how many of you have uh, fasted, you know, definitely, uh, especially, I think the hardest fast are the one day fasts. When you're short, you know, um, I know none of you have ever done this, but when you do the one day fast, you always start with a real big meal before you start your fast. This is the biggest meal. This is my last meal. I'm going to eat a lot. And they'll just hold me over. Um, terrible idea uh, uh, to do that. And, you know, Pastor Dave often talk about that, right? It's about King's stomach. And right after that meal, when you just think that, oh, I'm so full, I can't eat for three days. And you kind of sit down and Right away, not, not that much longer, you'll hear your stomach says, hey, I'm hungry. And you're like, it's only 30 minutes since we ate. You can't be hungry, no. And you go to bed early, and next morning you wake up, and right away, you, somehow you smell coffee, but there isn't. Somehow you smell bacon, but is, nothing's being cooked. You smell it, and you manage to uh, uh, go through the office or work through lunchtime and just waffs of, mm, is that barbecue I'm smelling? It's just, you're constantly thinking about food when you're being deprived of it. And it's odd that at times when you're not fasting, you can sometimes work or be engaged in something else and not even think, oh, I forgot to eat lunch, I forgot to eat all day. But yet when you're fasting, Every single minute, you're thinking about food. And then by dinner time, you know, you're, you're kind of, oh, I, I should be able to eat in a few hours. And you're going through the freezers like, wow, look at that, that frozen fruit cake that's been there. Mm, I should defrost that sometime. That looks really good. Everything just looked really good to you at that time. You're just so ravished by hunger that you'll eat uh, anything by then. Jesus is saying here that he can give you an appetite. For something more. The reason we fast is saying that as much as I want food, I'm depriving my body because there's something I want more. The righteousness of God. And I don't know, there's different uh, a culture and different things that people enjoy food. I'm Chinese and I'm from Malaysia. And we eat. Okay? Uh, there's a, there's a quite a few Malaysians here. Yeah, a lot of Malaysians. So, you know, we, we, there's a lot of eating that's involved. In, in fact, uh, I remember there's a, this Malaysian club uh, at UBC when I went there. And I remember going up on clubs day uh, to the, the, the booth. And I just kind of asked them, like, uh, so uh, I'm from Malaysia too. And what do you guys do uh, for activity in the Malaysian club? And essentially, it's just a lot of potlucks. Um, everything is just potluck and food and they just get together, they make food and they eat together. And that's really the only program involved. I go, do you guys go outside or anything else? Like, yep, we do potluck outdoors. There'll be picnics. So it's, it's still food. And 
And you know Chinese, we eat uh, like five days, five meals a day, and you, you see all the 24-hour uh, Chinese restaurant, right? Like right at right around 11 o'clock when you finish watching a movie or just before um, you go to bed, you get hungry. Where do you go? You go to a Chinese restaurant and you eat a good big bowl of congee and some nice deep-fried, pan-fried something, and then you go to bed and you just feel really great. Um, and, and again, you know, being Chinese, we eat everything. Uh, we will eat uh, anything and everything. And my mom here is one of the best cook, I'll tell you. Like, my mom's cooking is one of the, uh, we enjoy it. And then I married uh, my wife here, who is Chinese Filipino. And I've met my match, okay? The Filipinos. Let me tell you about the Filipinos and food, okay? And they can eat. And they will eat anything. Um, I, love, I love going to uh, the, 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 the Filipinos' uh, life group. You know, each time they say, hey, we have a birthday party. We had a home blessing. Would you? Yes, I'm there. So usually there's 15 people, but there's food for 50 you know, and it's just uh, uh, a lot of food, a lot of food. And so in your culture, there might be something that you, you might not enjoy. And there's something that uh, you get an appetite for. When we first uh, got married, there are certain things that, you know, I'm Malaysian Chinese. We, have, we like our spicy food. And then when I started eating a lot of the more of the Filipino dishes, it's a slightly different flavor. But eventually I got an appetite and now I crave it. I love uh, just even thinking about it right now. Um, <laughs> But uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 4, that awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And there's another um, scripture uh, in... Um, uh, Romans five seventeen further down. It says that... It is a sin of this one man, Adam, who caused death to rule over us. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. And as you hunger, as you uh, um, push yourself towards us righteousness through Christ, the other things start to fade. You know how often we, uh, when we come Christian, we try to, okay, this is what I can't do. This is what I can't do. This is why I should talk. We don't know what to focus on. We need to, we, we tend to focus on the rules and what not to do instead of what God is asking us to pursue. Again, sticking with a the mountain theme, um, one of the things that I enjoy doing is mountain biking. Um, I used to do a lot more of it uh, when we had time, but now it's becoming uh, more of a challenge. I'm not talking about, you know, the casual. I'm talking about the full face helmet, arm pad, chest plate, you know, everything. And Whistler, uh, just today, just watching, going up to Whistler, seeing them all come down. I was so excited about it. So last summer, uh, we had this opportunity. Uh, myself, Frank, uh, and Pastor Dave decided to do like a guy's kind of getaway thing. And we said, hey, let's go uh, biking downhill Whistler. And Frank's like, yeah, let's do it. And Pastor Dave, are you in? Um, he said, yeah, I'm in. I'll show you a picture of that just so that you know that we did do it. So this is us uh, right at the peak of Whistler there. Uh, myself, Frank, and Pastor Dave. 
So Pastor Dave, he, he's a, you know, he, he dirt bikes a lot and he's pretty good. But this is his first time. First time that he's ever done downhill biking. So we started the day um, just like skiing. You know, they, you have green runs, blue runs, and black runs. So we warmed up with a couple of green runs and just to get him get used to the feel of the bike. And he was, he was really good. I was like, let's try some blue ones. And uh, so he was, still, he was still good. He's a little bit slower than us, Frank. Yeah, but he was still, still keeping up. He was okay. And I knew there was this one run that I said, hey, let's go down this. I know it's a blue run uh, down the end. It's blue all the way. So, like, all right, let's do it. He just followed along. But they were doing some trail work uh, on that trail at that run. So we stopped, and they were all closed. And the only way down was a black run. So we figured... Well, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go for it. Just take your time. And the, the, the trick to this, um, just like if you go skiing through trees, is you want to go where you should and avoid what, you know, the tree, the rocks, the stumps, the root. And if you focus on what you don't want to hit, you know what's going to happen? You're going to hit it. So we told Pastor Dave, Pastor, just look where you want to go. Okay, don't worry about the others. So we were on top of this trail, and we were a little bit faster. So we stopped, and I, I decided at the time I pulled my camera out just to take some action shot. So I took this shot, this next shot that you see. Okay, this is a trail, okay, that we were on. And that's Pastor Dave there. This picture doesn't quite do the justice of how steep this is. Um, so do you see there's rocks, there's stumps and everything. So we're saying, yeah, Pastor Dave, you can do it. Yeah, I'm going to get my camera ready. So just so we come, I'm trying to get a good shot of you. Just avoid those stumps. Lean back, sit back, don't, go, don't lean forward and you'll be okay. And uh, this is the last shot, the next shot that I took. He was not doing that on purpose. Uh, he, Pastor Dave, hit a rock, and the uh, he flew over his handlebars, landed about you know eight feet lower on the trail. Um, I put my camera away, and the first thought that came to my head was, "We killed our pastor." I was, and that was, I think, a Friday. I was like, or, or Pastor Dave won't be able to preach. He, you know, he broke his back, and it's our fault, you know. And, and that was just coming through my head, like, oh, Frank, what are we going to do? But he, you know, he's a man of God. Angels are protecting him. He kind of, st- or like, he was kind of on the ground, face, for, face first. And then, Pastor Dave, are you okay? And he kind of stood up, dusted him off, and nothing's broken. And he kind of rode off. And so he was saved. He did, he did come back. Um, but the, the idea, that same thing, that in our lives, how often do we always focus on the things that, you know, we shouldn't do? And Jesus here is saying that, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Instead of focusing on the things that will, will cause us to stumble, that cause us to trip us over. We focus on where we want to go. We focus on God. We have this hunger for righteousness. And that may mean um, uh, um, not being uh, in an environment that you know you're going to trip out. So instead of being there, God, I'm just going to spend time. I'm going to come to church on a Saturday night. I'm going to come to church on a Sunday morning. I'm going to read God's word. Instead of watching this, instead of spending time on uh, uh, the computer or watching this or hanging out in this area where I know it's not from you, I'm going to pursue you. Uh, there's a magazine that came out that we, for men's call Seven, put up by Promise Keeper. And it was great. There was this uh, article in there about uh, fasting from technology about how technology is a tool 
it's great. It's it's uh, uh, again, it's neutral. You could do with it, you know, uh, good or evil. But the, yet, we can become so dependent on it, and it's actually challenging us to do uh, a tech fast, to fast from all, you know, for a season, and just to say, God. I want you. I want to seek you more than I want to be on a computer and all that. So uh, pick that up if you have. Uh, there's some copies in there. So uh, let's move on. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And mercy, uh, there's, there's two um, definitions of it here. And the first is described as forbearance. It is a, a legal term, uh, and the definition uh, you see in your note here is forbearance from inflicting punishment on an adversary or a lawbreaker, refraining from enforcement of a debt, right, or obligation that is due. Essentially, it's willing to give others a break. That's showing mercy. So willing to give others a break. Another definition of it is compassion. Uh, you heard Nancy Alcorn that was here a couple months ago. She's involved with something called Mercy Ministries. And uh, what they do is that they have compassion. They help uh, to, to serve those that are sick, poor, hurting. And that's another definition of mercy. There was a, uh, a story about a young man very in the late 1800s and the 1900s. Two young men that were uh, at Stanford University. And they were hacking, having a, a rough time um, making ends meet, kind of financing through their school. So they had this idea, and they had a contact uh, to get Paderewski, which is a famous uh, composer, pianist, to do a recital as a fundraiser at the university. So they contacted him, and he said that my fee is $2,000, um, which is a lot you know, today. But in the, can you imagine the 1900s, 1800s, that's a lot of money. But still, they had confidence. They went ahead, and they booked him to come to do the recital. And after the show, they found out that they only made $1,600. So not only did they not make money, they owed money. So they went to Paderewski and they said, here's the $1,600. I know you asked for 2000 but we have $1,600 for you. And here's a promissory note for $400. And we will do whatever we can to make that up. So Paderewski took that note and he said, this will not do. So he tore up the note. He gave the $1,600 back uh, to these two gentlemen. He said that, Take this money back, take from it all the expenses that you've incurred, and the remaining of that, take 10% of that for yourself, and I'll take the rest. And uh, over the next course of years through uh, um, a different event, um, Paderewski actually became, and this was in the time of the First World War, he, just before that, he became the first premier of Poland, uh, of the free Poland, and during the war period, uh, there was a lot of there was famine. Not a lot, there was famine in Poland, and there was only one place, uh, one person that they could turn to to get food to feed his country, and there was this gentleman named um, uh, Herbert Hoover, and that name might be sound familiar, President Hoover, who eventually became the 31st president of the United States. So before that, he was involved with a lot of uh, a food delivery program. So he actually shipped a lot of food uh, to the Polish people. And uh, the, at, that, at that time, the premier of Poland decided he wanted to visit this beneficiary who, who really helped him a lot. So he took a trip to Paris to thank Herbert Hoover. But as he journeyed there, uh, he met Mr. Hoover, and Hoover said, 
That's all right, Mr. Padruski. Besides, you don't remember it, but you helped me once when I was a student in college, when I was in a hole. And uh, in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. You know, show compassion. You know, no way it's going to come back to return. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Greek word for pure is kartaros, from which we get the English word cathartic. Both mean to cleanse or purge or purify. Uh, in 1 John, 3, 20, uh, 1 John 3, 2 and 3, it says, Years, dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what we'd be like when Christ returned. What does it mean to be pure in heart? In times of worship, have you ever just felt like crying out to God? You know, I remember my first experience, um, my first mission trip, at, in fact, on campus. Uh, we went down to UCLA. Uh, I think this was probably in 1996. And uh, I think we stopped by a church on the way in Van Nuys, California. Those that know uh, Pastor Jack Hayford. Uh, we visit. I think we were attending one of the service there. And that was when uh, I was already a, a Christian, but for the very first time, I encounter God in a different way. We were just in worship just like today. Uh, and then a song came on. Never heard this song before. Um, and a song, it goes, um, We lift our voices. We lift our hands. We lift our lives up to you. We are an offering. It is an old song called We Are an Offering by uh, Chris Christian. Uh, just a, a classic song. I still remember that. And, and right away, I, tears just came for the very first time in my life. Tears just came running through my eyes. And I just felt like there's this cleansing. There's this purging that the Holy Spirit was doing in me. And that was the first time I think I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And ever since that time, anytime I, I encounter really a strong presence of the Holy Spirit, tears just come. And that's how I know when that purging happens, I know, God, you're doing something in me. So that's, that's the purity in the heart. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When you hunger, when you have that purity, not, not that you're perfect, because being pure in heart is saying that you are in a right standing with God, right this moment as you'll be when you get to heaven. Not that you're perfect, but you can stand in front of God and say that, Lord, I'm right with you because of what your death and your resurrection has done for me. To have that purity is what we all long for. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. And that's what our calling, I think, are as, as Christians, as believers. When you play the part of peacemaker. Uh, you hear about UN peacekeeping mission. Uh, when we went out to Haiti, we saw these UN trucks driving around. And I just had this vision that as a believer, each of you have this UN uniform, a UN hat you have to put on. You know what your mission is? You are to keep peace in your home. You are to keep peace in your workplaces. You are to keep peace in uh, uh, your school or with your friends. You're the ones to, to bring about, uh, um, to, to avert quarrels. It says that it's Mark, Proverbs 23, is a mark of good character to avert quarrels, but fools love to pick fights. And I'll say that even for the body of believers itself, to keep peace among Christians. 
among the bodies, among those that are on really the same team. That we're not to pick fights. We're not saying this thing about this pastor or that believer or that uh, um, church down the street. That they are on the same team. If you are going to pick a fight, that you should at least go with somebody that's not on your team, right? So stop picking fights with people on your same team. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And we'll end on this last point when Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Uh, And you remember Carl Gustav, you were here last week. I talked about building our house on a rock so that when the rain comes, when the water rises, when the flood comes, not if, when Jesus had not promised that if you build your house on a rock, you'll be free from the storms. Storms are going to be, storms are going to come. In fact, it is a mark that you are a Christian is that you will face persecution, whether it's in your workplace, maybe it's your family. Those of you that are making that choice to be baptized tomorrow, you'll see and this is uh, 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 not a, a um, I'm not speaking this, but I'm just saying uh, uh, to, to be careful, to be aware that the enemy is going to come. You'll sense persecution because you're taking a stand for God. Each time you take a stand to do something great for God in your life or for others, persecution is going to come in various ways. It can be verbally. It can be physically. It ha- it's happening all around uh, the world. Um, I saw... Um, a post on uh, Facebook uh, last night about the churches in Indonesia, uh, about the the persecution that believers in Indonesia are facing, churches being burnt down, um, and just uh, how many churches having to be locked up, and that is happening. And scandalously, it says that, Blessed are ye when men shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. And that's when you stand on something that is righteous and you're being accused of doing something that is righteous. And we turn back and we say, Lord, I'm going to have joy. I'm going to stand on that rock. When trials come, that is what I'm going to stand on. I'm going to stand on what you've done for me, who I am in Christ. And I'm not going to be shaken because of that. So I want to ask tonight, who is your rock? Where do you stand on? When those times of persecution comes, when do you stand on when circumstances are not that happy? Those happy circumstances did not happen for you. Where is your rock tonight? I'm telling you that if you have Jesus Christ as that rock, though the storms may come, he never lets go. Remember the song that we sang, that I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You may be in the storms of your life right now, and Jesus is very, very much aware of that. He's saying that I will never let you go. And there is a, a, a gift that I have to offer you that will help you sustain your walk of faith. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.